Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Mayor Eric Adams has completed one year in office and is off and running into year two. The Democratic mayor, who is the city's second black chief executive ever and a former NYPD captain, state senator and borough president, has brought a unique approach to the job, a big personality and his own priorities. In his first year in office, Adams has had to deal with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, other public health issues, speed bumps in the city's economic recovery, rising crime, a deep affordable housing crisis, a depleted city government, students and schools in need of help after two plus pandemic years, city jails in chaos, a large influx of asylum seeking migrants, and other challenges and crises. Adams has notched a number of victories and successes and made progress on some of those fronts, while progress has been elusive on others. And he's put a lot more in motion to try to accomplish other parts of his agenda in 2023 and beyond. He's also made some mistakes, of course. It may be an understatement to call Mayor Eric Adams a lightning rod. He is yeah. in the job he's wanted for decades. He's yeah. rash. He's determined. He's very, very busy and active pretty much seven days a week. As he promised on the campaign trail in 2021, he's tried to be a mayor for just about everyone. Cozy with the wealthy and the titans of industry, while also pursuing policies to benefit those with limited resources. He's focused on public safety, jobs, child care, and much more. Adams has introduced an administration mantra of get stuff done. And we're talking on this episode about what some of he that he has done and gotten done and some he hasn't gotten done in his first year as mayor and what he's promising to get done in year two and beyond and about what kind of mayor New York City has as evidenced by that first year of his tenure. A lot of the ins and outs of the Eric Adams mayoralty thus far. And today I'm joined by one of the journalists who's covered Eric Adams most closely throughout the 2021 campaign and now into his tenure as the 110th mayor of New York City. Sally Goldenberg is the City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico New York. Sally has recently authored or co-authored several pieces on Adams's year one and what's ahead in year two. You can find those all at Politico, of course, including the big look at Adams's year one with the very good headline, Eric Adams fights crime by day, parties by night, and thinks he's the future of the Democratic Party. Sally, thank you for joining me. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks for taking the time. Real quick, before I jump into the conversation with Sally Goldenberg of Politico on Eric Adams, just a quick note to say, if you've missed any of our recent episodes here of Max Politics, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. A couple quick examples of recent discussions have included guests like Queensboro President Donovan Richards on the future of Queens and his priorities for 2023, Congressman-elect Dan Goldman about his priorities entering the House of Representatives as the new 10th District of New York Congressman, the co-chairs of the New York State Climate Action Council, uh, City Council Member Shaker Krishnan on his priorities as chair of the City Council's Parks Committee, and more. And of course, you can find all of our reporting at GothamGazette.com. And along with this conversation with Sally Goldenberg, 
of Politico also new this week is a conversation coming soon with New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins about the start of the legislative session in Albany here in 2023. So find that soon as well. All right, Sally Goldenberg, New York City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico. Thank you for being here. Let's start with um, the day we're talking here is Thursday, January 5th, the day before this on Wednesday, Eric Adams uh, went on a, a pretty extraordinary sort of tangent rant of his own provocation about criticism from former de Blasio administration officials, other things related to his predecessor in the administration, had some pretty unkind words for the de Blasio administration, although he praised Bill de Blasio himself for being helpful to Eric Adams. Um, This seems like a a perfect spot for us to start, given we both closely covered the de Blasio years and now into the Adams years. And you have lots of good background covering the Bloomberg years as well. Um, Mayor Adams spoke for for about five or so minutes at the end of his Wednesday press conference. Um, That was about something totally different, of course, electrifying the city's vehicle fleet. Um, he, he said he feels unfairly and inappropriately attacked from some de Blasio administration alums. And he's also very upset, of course, about the state of the city that he inherited. Um, he said nice things about de Blasio. Does he have a point here about some of the former administration officials criticizing him in the press? Um, is this a little bit making too much out of you know typical criticism that a mayor should expect? What was your sort of reaction to this uh, outburst from Mayor Adams? I, you know, I don't really think he's gotten a lot of criticism. You know, by comparison, when De Blasio became mayor, the Bloomberg apparatus um, was was really really very critical of him, and you know, with reason, De Blasio ran. The mayoral campaign opposing Mike Bloomberg had a, you know, an inauguration in which he was sitting right there and was being insulted. So I, I understood where they were coming from, and they were just very different. Apart from the personal grievances, they were just very, very different people with different philosophies. I don't really feel like this mayor has gotten a substantial amount of criticism from the De Blasio um, administration. I think he was really seizing on the fact that de Blasio's second to last press secretary, Bill Neidhart, has been kind of the chief critic, uh, that reporters, myself included, you know, uh, call for comment a lot. I don't think that Neidhart is speaking on behalf of de Blasio. I think he's speaking on behalf of the progressive movement that he's, you know, running a business representing, you know, he represents Cori Bush. I think he's trying to represent progressives in New York city. And he's sort of, you know, trying to carve out a space for himself in the consulting world as the go-to lefty consultant. And yeah, they, I mean, look, the left has a lot of uh, issues with Eric Adams from, you know, cuts to this public school budget, his defense of the police department, um, how he's, you know, kind of a strong armed approach to moving people off of subways, people who are unsheltered. So, you know, I, I understand why the mayor doesn't like being criticized publicly. No one does. <laughs> but I, it doesn't seem to me in the context of like mayor's first years in office that this is some sort of um abnormal amount or, or, you know, excessive or gratuitous amount of pushback. 
Yeah, I mean, you really don't see a lot of sort of high profile de Blasio administration officials or even consultants who are allied with de Blasio, you know, going out there and and hitting Eric Adams off at all, really. Almost never. Yeah, you're really talking about um, Neidhart, as you said, and and Mayor Adams seems a little frustrated with some comments from a couple other de Blasio officials. But again, not really people that anyone would think were speaking for Bill de Blasio in any way. And, And Bill de Blasio made that clear with a response and a couple of tweets after he he said he spoke to Eric Adams again, and and this is obviously, um, you know, as you reported uh, last year, you know, Bill de Blasio was was helpful to Eric Adams in winning the Democratic nomination, getting some union endorsements. So, um, you know, it se- seems to me like Eric Adams. We've seen we've seen this already, right? And this is get, getting into our broader discussion. I mean, this is kind of a theme. Eric Adams really doesn't like to be criticized, and as you said, nobody really likes to be criticized. But mayor of New York City. He's acknowledged it comes with the territory. Um, you know, he kind of thinks, hey, show me some grace from the prior administration, especially when there were so many challenges I was coming into office with. Um, but broadly speaking, you know, this seems like a little bit part of a pattern where he's very sensitive and very reactive to criticism. And he's picked a bunch of fights. You know, I don't know if you see this as sort of part of a, a continuum at all. I see it a little bit, you know, in line with some of the ways that he's lashed out at times at the press a little bit already. And then some of the ways that he's also, you know, publicly criticized President Biden. He's gone after, you know, progressives in the city council. He's he's sort of lashed out at quite a few people and groups in this first year or so here. Wouldn't you, would you agree? Or how do you sort of see that? Maybe he's a fight. I mean, maybe, you know, a lot of people see him as a fighter. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, those are, I think both are true. You know, I think he's, I remember when I don't even think he had become mayor yet. And he made um, a comment that I think seemed supportive of solitary confinement. And he's saying he was misquoted and I don't want to repeat it and further misquote him, but it was, it was something that was, you know, seen as um, rolling back some, uh, some restrictions on solitary confinement and progressives in the city council sent him a letter. And I remember him getting really upset and said, you know, this isn't how you do business. If you want to make change, you don't just send a letter. And I was like, that's the most sort of basic anodyne way to get your message out. You know, it wasn't a protest at Gracie Mansion or anything like that. So I don't know. Um, It is part of the territory. And look, I think it's I think that they can have, if the goal is, I think two things are happening. I think one is just kind of an emotional reaction. I think he's angry. Um, and in anger, people aren't typically strategic, but the subsequent strategy that they're employing is to really have a chilling effect on critics by, um, saying that it's, you know, racially motivated and or racist, you know, they, they've said, and, and their allies, Al Sharpton and the NAACP today have said recent criticisms are akin to, um, uh, how David Dinkins was treated, which they feel, you know, and I think history has, you know, kind of shown was not always fair. Um, and if they continue to level that charge and, um, you know, have surrogates who validate it, um, and I'm not saying it, it is or isn't valid, that's, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, the fact that they're doing it is going to have a chilling effect on critics. And that is strategically what they're going for. There will be less criticism if people are afraid that they'll be called racist for right, calling them out. I mean, I think there's that. And then I think there's a variety of other layers to it, right? I mean, he is showing that he's going to 
he's going to hit, he's going to hit back, you know, whether it's, it's along those lines that you're talking about, or the way that he's been talking about president Biden and the federal government, not, you know, doing enough on the uh, asylum seeker migrant crisis um, in ways that have shocked me that he's said, you know, things, uh, the ways he said them again, the ways uh, in some of your interview with him recently on his first year and previewing what's ahead this year, uh, some of the criticism he leveled at the state legislative leaders. I mean, it's kind of going in all directions. Um, And so, you know, I think that's going to be a really interesting theme to watch here in in 2023 is whether um, that continues, whether that kind of gets him his way. Is he you know, is he almost like uh, really trying to sort of fill this um, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to say it's Andrew Cuomo S, but sort of fill the sort of alpha, you know, he's trying to like be the alpha dog among all of these um, entities and individuals. I don't know that that's going to you know get him what he wants. I mean, we've already seen a lot of challenges with his relationship with the city council and the state legislature. And, you know, he's now sort of. Uh, we'll see what happens with President Biden and their relationship. But if he's burning bridges there, I mean, you know, he's still on good terms, it seems, with Governor Hochul. But, um, you know, it can become it can become lonely fast. And we we kind of saw that with Bill de Blasio in some ways, you know. And I think that's right. And I think that with Adams, you know, you're going to see different reactions. I mean, all of these people you sort of and all of these entities you have to look at kind of, you know, individually, like some are some are kind of weak, like the city council is just structurally weak. They have a bully pulpit. They have a progressive caucus. They have a speaker who, frankly, owes him nothing and and doesn't really need to be his friend. And I don't actually think they get along terribly well. But they haven't been really using the limited power that they do have to hold him to account in an organized and consistent and successful way, in my view of it. But then you have people in Albany who just, Seriously. you know, just have a lot more power than he does. They hold a lot of cards. And in the absence of a, a really strong governor like Governor Cuomo, I think the legislative leaders have a lot of clout. They don't like him. That's very clear. Um, they also happen to be people of color. So that sort of nullifies, you know, the, that charge that I was talking about. And they're not and their conference. Like, the assembly speaker just quite simply is not interested in doing Mayor Adams bidding on a number of criminal justice policies. And so the more personal animus that arises, I think the less he'll get his way in Albany um, if unless if and unless, you know, Hochul really sees sort of sees his side and steps in. But, you know, last session that didn't happen. And I think um, so I think he's going to have a I think he stands to have a problem in Albany. I can't predict it because it's Albany. It's like it's all like a (laughs) six way negotiation. So, you know, but I think that I think, you know, the council is weak and, and, and the public advocate and the city controller have been pretty quiet for a number of reasons, um, not all of which relate to how they feel about the mayor directly. But I, I'm very curious how how his session goes this time in Albany. And there's a lot that I think he'll be asking for that he needs Albany for. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's right. I think the biggest wild card here right now is how Governor Hochul and his relationship goes, because she obviously had her eye on this election. She was governor for a very short time before she had to run. And she very obviously wanted Mayor Adams as an ally. So even if he was saying some things she didn't like, or he was undermining her in certain ways, it was to her advantage to to play really nice with him. 
get his endorsement and have him, you know, do some things for him. Obviously he could have done a lot more to help her. And I don't think her campaign was asking that much as part of their, their challenges, but, um, but now she's got a full term. And I think it'll be very interesting to see if the dynamics there shift a little bit, because I don't, you know, she, she needs him a lot less, I think now than, than she did. But I think your point on the legislative leaders, assembly speaker, hasty majority leader, Stuart cousins is so important. You know, to, to me, this is where a lot of the sort of stylistic stuff really does meet policy. I think there's things with Eric Adams and the ways that he acts and the way he approaches the job and the way he goes out a lot. Some of this, you know, some of this is kind of fun fodder, but it doesn't really matter. And I think some of the ways that he's approached these relationships are things that are stylistic, but they also really matter on the substance, like pissing off the state legislative leaders when you don't really need to. I mean, that, you know, that seems like, um, a little bit of sort of 101 stuff, but I'm not sure Adams, you know, I, I think he, I think he sort of thrives on some of that, um, some of that fighting and some of that sort of, um, you know, who, who's really in charge and and thinks that, you know, he, he should just sort of get what he wants and that he knows best. So I think those relationships are going to be really interesting as we're speaking here on Thursday, January 5th, the mayor, Hasty, Stuart Cousins, and other top black leaders in the state, Attorney General James, Public Advocate Williams, you mentioned, um, and others, uh, several district attorneys, the Lieutenant Governor, Antonio Delgado, are all going to a public safety summit organized by Al Sharpton. Um, so this so will be interesting to see the the press conference after that, which will have occurred by the time people listen to this. But are you any any thoughts on on what you're sort of expecting out of that or or how you see you know, that discussion going, because as you've gotten at, even among all these powerful black leaders in New York, there's a lot of difference of opinion, you know, Jamani Williams yeah. and Eric Adams and Carl Hasty, you know, they, they all have a lot of different perspectives on, on these issues, even, even just of, of crime and public safety and criminal justice reform. What are you watching for out of that summit? I mean, I think that the uh, one thing that I think we've seen the beginnings of, and I'm curious how it goes tonight and then how it goes into session, is what the mayor is going to actually request out of Albany on bail reform and on, you know, criminal justice reform. Because what we saw this year, and, you know, I guess now I should say last year, sorry, last session, January through June, was that he had a pretty clear message that the 2019 reforms the state legislature passed to the state bail laws, which were meant to, you know, really make it more uh, what they, they would say, make it, you know, much more fair to people who were stuck in a, a system that they felt was, you know, unfair. Um, he drew a direct line between those reforms and the increase in crime that he inherited and that continued, you know, to increase in his first year in office other than murders and shootings. And so I think after he got some, but really not, not all of what he wanted in that session, he kind of pivoted. And I'm not sure why. It could be that Democratic leaders asked him to lay off because they were in a tough general election fight. It could be that he didn't want to look like he lost because, like you said, he likes to look strong. It could be like strategic that he wants to go into this legislative session focusing on something different. So he definitely backed off the the calls for changes to bail publicly. But, you know, as we reported and I and others have definitely talked about, um, he's still on this case. You know, he's met privately with Hochul and he's held he held a summit in Gracie Mansion to talk about changes to discovery. It seems to me like what he's doing now is really narrowing down 
the pitch to say like there's uh, 16, 1700 recidivists who are the most dangerous criminals. And those are who we really have to focus on. We need to make changes regarding recidivism rather than a wholesale rollback of bail reform, which I think Carl Heastie made clear is not going to happen. So I'm curious, I think, to see, you know, tonight how they address bail, because the mayor, I think the mayor's single just to make the, to really crystallize this. He cannot be successful politically if crime goes up on his watch. That's just like period and finish stop mm-hmm. kind of doesn't matter how anything else goes. And he knows that. And I think he believes and and might be right. It's it's there's a lot of debate about what causes crime to go up. Uh, and it's it's I'm really not equipped to say, but he certainly believes that the changes to the criminal justice laws in Albany caused that um, or exacerbated it. His police leader believes that. And I think the more pressure he gets politically, the more we're going to see like, you know, an increased push in Albany. And that's definitely like, you know, that, that would be what I'm I think he's made clear, as you're saying, and he did this, you know, this afternoon with a press conference with NYPD leaders on the 2022 crime numbers in New York City. He made it very clear that he's focused on recidivism and that that is, as you say, where they're going to sort of more narrowly try to focus in on bail changes. Now, there's a chance that that relates to a broader judicial discretion that he's been arguing for. We don't need to get into the weeds of all that now, but but clearly something related to bail, recidivism, judicial discretion is going to be part of his his new agenda for Albany. We don't know what else is going to be on that agenda, um, but that's that's clear going to be part of it. Obviously, he has a sympathetic ear in the governor. And the question is, you know, where else he can find some of that um, with with those legislative leaders. And I think coincidence or not, the fact that they had this press conference this afternoon ahead of that Sharpton summit set the stage for the mayor, I think, you know, being being able to come in with more data and talk about what he, you know, is is seeing and what and what his NYPD officials are are saying on that. We don't need to get into this now. It just strikes me as very interesting how I totally agree with you that obviously he ran on crime and public safety as number one. He's talked about the intervention pieces, more immediate policing, the prevention pieces, more medium term, long term, you know, social services and resources and other stuff that he's already worked on and wants more credit around child care, earned income tax credit and so forth. Um, But this point about you know, crime being his political liability. The the very interesting thing about that, right, is that if he's going to be somehow unseated in 2025, which, you know, as we sit here today is obviously very unlikely, it would likely happen in the Democratic primary where maybe people on the left are making the argument, look, he didn't even, you know, he didn't even follow through with what he said he was going to do on crime because he's so focused on policing solutions and not others. But, you know, even though that is his biggest political liability, it's, you know, it it, it, it might be challenging for anybody to, you know, unseat him on it because there is uh, such a limited opportunity on the right to, to take him on. Um, but let's stay on that because he did outline the fact that Murders and shootings dropped this year pretty significantly from last year, uh, double digit decreases in both in percentages. Um, all other major categories of crime are up. However, they were increasing at pretty significant rates the first half or so of the year. And in the last quarter of 2022, across the board, major crimes were down. So I think 
very legitimately, the numbers show that maybe some progress is being made. I don't know that that means that Eric Adams' strategies are working, but um, but he's he's got some momentum here on this finishing the year. Um, it seems to me. Yes, I just I just two quick points um, on what you said about the election, and I wanted to address that. One was, I I don't I kind of agree with you. I don't think the left has at this moment in time, and a lot of people will disagree with me, but my view of it is that they have not really articulated a successful message on dealing with crime. Um, it's not a judgment on the value of what they say. It's just the 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 results of elections would show that. I think the mayor's problem is not necessarily on the left. And I agree, it's not necessarily from a Republican. It could There could be a more you know, a, a challenger um, who's who people will portray as a better manager if the city seems to be in disarray. And that could be actual crime. That could be the perception of, of disorder, which doesn't have to be crime. It could be homeless people on the subway. And it's not a crime to be homeless on a subway, but it makes people, um, it seems based on polling and just, you know, anecdotal evidence, and I live here and hear this, that it makes people feel uncomfortable and unsafe, whether that's fair or not. You kind of can't tell people they shouldn't feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And if there is not progress, I just don't know what else he can stand on. Not to say he hasn't done anything else, but that was always, you know, the the gamble was always like, we're going we're to go with this guy. The city said, you know, we're going to go with this guy, even if he sounds like a cop. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, distrust of police because we feel unsettled and unsafe. That That's more what I mean. So I don't know whether it would be. I don't, I don't think it would yeah, be. Left. I agree with you. Yeah. But I would say just a really quick point. I do think that if crime and other things that relate to how people feel are better and affordability is not, then I think he has a problem on his left. I really do, because, you know, and I think that that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, not just from him, but from the press, you know, just it's not that that is not the main conversation right now. And that is where I think the left has the most success is when people feel, you know, that working class people aren't doing well. Obviously, that's that's what benefits and animates the left and, you know, the center left and far left wings of the Democratic Party. And um, but to your point about or your question about the numbers today, yeah, the, the numbers aren't really that bad. And, um, you know, compare and they've gotten in some categories. I haven't gone through all the numbers today, so I don't want to misspeak. I know they've gotten better in a number of categories. There still is really a sense of disorder. It's the media. It's him. It's 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 a lot of things. Some of it's real and some of it's perception. And it's all kind of, you know, it all melts together in this pot of, you know, chaos. And um, and he's got to be able to defend aggressive policing, not necessarily like unfair policing, but, you know, a strong police force. While also not making the city sound unsafe, but also paying heed to people who feel it is, it's a really tricky thing. You know, yeah. he can't just be like, "Oh, the city's safe. You're all, you're all just like snowflakes." He he right. can't say that. It's not. It's against his brand, and it's not what he believes. The, the, one of the, the you're hitting on one of the things I'm most interested in here is if he will even accept 
he will even accept the momentum that he has and the victories that he has. I mean, it's almost like he's so programmed to talk about, you know, lack of safety and disorder that I'm, I'm eager to see some of the things he said at today's press conference about the, the momentum that he does have if he's able to own that more. You know, you, you almost saw him bucking against his own narrative at the end of 2022, where he started to try to remind people New York City is the safest big city in the country. Again, people don't really want to hear that for the most part. They want to really just know, are they safe? Do they feel safe in the city? But, um, you know, he seemed to be sort of chafing at a, at a narrative that he very much, you know, has helped perpetuate. So um, this actually leads me to a question I wanted to ask you as you were doing your year-end coverage, and it's something I wrestled with also, is how do we judge a mayor after one year? Like, what, you know, is it really... How, how much is even fair, right? I mean, you at least got to give people a grace period of a few months to sort of learn the, you know, learn the nuts and bolts of how the city is really run, get some of their policies in place, get their commissioners settled, all of that stuff. Now, mayors are going to take credit of anything good that happens starting January 1st, right? So they, right. they get the blame too. But, you know, it strikes me with Eric Adams that he makes a, that he makes a very valid point that crime, the crime rates were continuing to rise at a pretty fast pace early on this year. And again, maybe he doesn't deserve that much credit for this, but once his policies got into place and he was surging officers into the subway system and some of this other stuff, the trends are really going in the other direction. So crime or otherwise, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's very challenging to look at a mayor of New York City one year in and really really give a, a very big assessment. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think there's like always these kind of arbitrary chronological markers. We do a hundred days, we do, you know, maybe three months, six months, whatever, right. you know, one year. Um, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to assess what he has done and whether it's worked or not, as well as, you know, what he hasn't uh, focused on, I guess it wouldn't be right or fair to to make a wholesale judgment on him based on one year because he'll be here for four, possibly eight, um, depending on you know whether he wins re-election. But I do think you know you can kind of do it in the in the context of what he himself has attempted to accomplish. You know, like he he set out to do. I think there was some coverage of the the app, the My City app. Mm -hmm. I think you guys covered it in Gotham Gazette and like that didn't happen. Like that's something you can just say, like here's something you said you would do. It's in your control. You didn't do it. I wouldn't make a broad judgment if someone said, is he a good mayor? What kind of mayor is he? I I agree. It wouldn't be right to make that judgment. But I do think we can say one year in, you know, how much housing has he financed? Huge issue. I mean, we cover that really extensively at Politico. So I'm kind of hyper tuned into that, you know, and you know, we can look at those numbers and make a judgment based on this one year and what that portends for the future, you know, or for at least for next year in, in terms of housing and economic development. But but yeah, look, it's it is hard. There's a lot that's not in your control when you're mayor. Larger economic and crime trends just kind of are out of your hands. Right. No. That, yeah. And that's exactly exactly sort of the point I'm getting at. I mean, maybe there's maybe there's maybe there's a way to have you know some impact. He's obviously tried to make very clear you know that he wants to New York City to be seen as back open for business, and he's very encouraging of economic growth. And obviously, some of the policing um, strategies could very well have had an impact. You know, after a few months and and getting things into motion. 
I do think there's and and absolutely a hundred percent with you on sort of follow through on promises. And, you know, um, we did a story recently about how, you know, he promised in the campaign to publish a watch list of NYPD officers. You know, there's an internal watch list and he promised to make it public and he hasn't done that. That's not yeah. something, you know, that that is that's not something that should take more than a year if you're going to do it. Right. Um, so so there's a variety of things on that front. And then I think also, you know, one of the one of the most interesting things with Adams is management of city government. You know, I was always no people. This is not that exciting. So people I don't think really wanted to hear it that much. But I was always saying sort of after he won or even as he was you know, running that after crime and public safety it was almost like the second biggest thing he ran on was better managing city. Totally. You know, totally. and so I think that that's a really important place to to judge him and to hold him accountable. And so he's I'm interested in your take on this because, you know, he's really struggled, I think, with this battle around um it, it, the city's agencies, the depleted workforce, retention policies, you know, insisting on everybody in the office five days a week. Um, and and to your point about, you know, financing affordable housing, there seem to be real, real problems at some city agencies like the housing department, like city planning that are so key to the future of the city and his agenda and growth. And he, I think, has really struggled around the idea of um personnel levels, workforce levels, you know, how to exactly to approach those policies of workplace policies. And I think that's one of the biggest areas where he struggled in year one and year two is going to be a really important year. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, it's hard for government. It's just hard in general right now for government to hire. Um, He wanted people back in the office. I I thought he actually made a compelling case for why he wanted people back in the office. But I also understand, you know, the other side of that, which is people are used to hybrid work and there are still, you know, COVID still exists and people are concerned. They have childcare issues. So like, I thought his come back to work thing was rooted in like, you know, an economic message. And I understood that, but I also, you know, either way it makes, it doesn't, regardless of whether yeah, he's or ab- not, it absolutely. makes it harder to hire. Right. And he has had, I mean, the vacancy rates are really high in certain agencies. He's had, and like you said, there's in certain agencies that are key to kind of um, the thrust of his agenda, Department of Building, City Planning, Housing, and others. But those are, you know, three that like are really necessary for development, which is important to him. And I think he's got to not only increase i mean he i think he had the agencies take the the, the uh, some of the vacant positions off the books but there's definitely a dearth of city workers yes. i mean there's like 25,000 vacancies he can he can he uh, can cut that in half he and can still cut some and still need yeah. some exactly exactly but he's but i totally think you're right that like the kind of like internal somebody said to me the other day, like some people are inside mayors, some people are outside mayors and he's an outside mayor. And so we kind of cover him that way. And it's everything you said. It's the, it's the big personality and the bravado and the outside alliances and the, you know, all, you know, the Abney speeches and things like that. But, you know, I think if we look inside, there's a lot that hasn't gotten done yet. And and that would be the case no matter who's the mayor. So that's not a criticism. It's just government moves slowly. But like he's got an entire workforce operating with expired contracts. He's got budget challenges coming up. He has a really 
big affordable housing shortage as all mayor again all mayors have it it's not a criticism mm-hmm. but like it's a big issue that he's got to deal with he's got an increase in traffic deaths i believe right i think they they went up i don't know if they went down again but they were up um there's yeah, just I have to look at that yeah yeah, yeah. but but, but no he's really I mean, he, continuing and yes, so there's he's a got lot a problem. of like really big internal problems and the the sort of inner workings of government are i think something that like we'll, we'll be looking at really closely because i mean we always do but you know he can he can sort of take you out of that very easily when you cover him because he's he's all over the place. So busy. Yeah. He's busy and he's, he's just, he's a big personality, but there's a lot of like really important work that um, needs to get done. We just have a few minutes left here. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking with Sally Goldenberg from Politico, New York. I want to just try to touch on a couple other things, but I will say on the, on the sort of city staffing issue crisis. um, And as you said, and as he has said, you know, this is a, this is a big, national problem, private sector, you know, offering more flexibility, more money, et cetera. But this, along with other things, was a known quantity, right? The migrant crisis, that was not. There are things that have happened that are obviously out of more out of his control, but this was a known quantity under de Blasio. There are other challenges like unaffordable housing and other issues that were very well known and discussed significantly during the campaign. Eric Adams knew that he was going to be mayor from July of 2021. Um, so it, it just it strikes me in terms of the mayoral, um, you know, sort of learning curve and the and the and the accountability and the judgment on his tenure that um, I'm surprised on a number of issues how he was has rolled out plans. You know, I don't, I don't know what his transition committee actually did. Right. I mean, he, he knew he was going to be mayor from July of 2021. Obviously he had to run the general election still, but um, you know, I think, I think there's some real questions about why some of this stuff wasn't ready sooner when the budget director is sending a letter about removing agency, you know, vacancies from the budget, you know, bu- budgeted vacancies, um, you know, he's saying that there's, there's, worker retention and recruitment policies to come in 2023. It's like, you know, there are some real questions, I think, on how much he's, um, you know, shot himself in the foot a little bit with with some of how some of that's been delayed. Um, so we're not going to go through here, obviously, and we're just in our last couple of minutes, a lot of the things that he has, you know, said he's accomplished. I ticked off some of them, you know, expanded earned income tax credit, more more childcare funding, and and a lot more. Uh, obviously, some of the safety stuff. Say a little bit uh, because you've you've covered this just a little bit about um, sort of how this mayoralty is is run at City Hall and the sort of power struggles in the in the top levels of government and what you're sort of watching there in year two, because we've seen his first deputy mayor departing, his chief of staff departing, and it's a very interesting dynamic there. It is. I think, you know, the the prior, I'm just going to compare for a minute because it's the most recent thing that I can compare it to is the de Blasio administration. And you know, so I, I cover politics, obviously, so that, that's mostly what I cover. Um, but I covered housing for a long time under de Blasio and I cover the budget. So those three areas I can speak to pretty well. Um, 
they de Blasio centralized everything. Politics was the nerve center of his administration. The intergovernmental affairs division was everything. Nothing happened without their say so. No city councilman could be offended by anything. Everything went through politics and, and small politics, not not always large ideal that too, but it was politics was everything. This is an and in the regards to housing, the I'm sorry, I had a ding on my computer. In regards no, to housing. His deputy mayor who oversaw that was enormously powerful, more so than almost anyone other than his police commissioner. So the areas that I covered were a little bit different. De Blasio had a lot of commissioners who were totally powerless, who he micromanaged and didn't let do anything. That might have actually been the trend. But in those particular areas and his budget director, who became his first deputy, those were like the most powerful people in his administration. And that is just not the case here. You know, I think the budget director here is very powerful. The political division is all over the place. It's like run by it's officially run by one person. But in practice, from what I understand, it's kind of very bifurcated. It's run by all different people. A lot of people don't get along. A lot of conflicting personalities. They don't have a central, you know, animating ideology. Um, they have Republicans on staff. They have, you know, further left people on staff and people, you know, and, and that, look, that might be great for idea generation. And you could argue de Blasio's administration is way too like this one single message, but it does make it kind of a little sloppy, I think, politically in terms of how they deal with legislative bodies. Um, they use power much more effectively, on the other hand, than Blasio ever did. And I think in terms of some of the specific issues, I think, you know, you have uh, you had a first deputy mayor who oversaw Lorraine Grillo, who oversaw the running of government. And she's, you know, was kind of equipped to do that based on a long resume and by all accounts did it, you know, pretty well. And you have a deputy mayor of operations who's staying. Um, but you have a new first deputy mayor. So I think it's kind of TBD how she handles, you know, how she runs things and whether she does more of the nuts and bolts operations that her predecessor did or you know, kind of she's she's sort of in the past, uh, the new first deputy been you know, like a liaison to the private Sheena sector, Wright. Sheena Wright, public mm -hmm. private relation uh, partnerships and things like that. So right. I think it's a big question mark how things are run. But but to specifically answer your question, there's a lot of infighting. There always is in City Hall, mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. more in this administration than I recall there being under de Blasio and um Maybe more than under Bloomberg, but honestly, I don't remember. That was a long time ago. <laughs> but there's there's a fair amount at the top level of infighting in this administration. Yeah. Well, um, there's a lot to look for here in year two. Uh, I appreciate Sally Goldenberg taking some time to talk about year one and and sort of how it's um, now pivoting into year two of the Adams administration. Uh, as I sort of ticked off it somewhat in the beginning of the of the introduction, there's um, a number of crises that continue, including what's happening at Rikers Island. And obviously, as we talked a little bit about um, what's happening with affordable housing and the questions of whether the city can finally sort of pump up uh, production there. And the mayor has didn't didn't want to set a numerical goal for units and then set a big one. So yeah. um, uh, just to name a, a few things, and he's obviously got things uh, coming down the, the pike in terms of uh, 
the labor union contracts that you mentioned, uh, budget battles with the city council has all been the agenda uh, and much more. And of course, we'll see if um, we'll see what happens with uh, the ongoing implementation of the legal cannabis industry and, and lots of other things going on in the city uh, that the mayor has to deal with. But um, we'll be reading your reporting at Politico. Thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Happy New Year and catch Thank up you. soon. Thank you. All right. Take care, Ben. Thank you. 